Welcome back to Off the Chart Season 2 Gen Q Edition. This season, we're watching the L Word Generation Q with you, bringing you our unfiltered take on the new series reboot every Monday, because we still can't get over those LA lesbians. I'm Michelle Turingen, managing producer of Video at Extra, and I would love to do bro night with Finley and Sophie. Same. I'm Erica Lenti, senior editor at Extra, and I just want Shane and Kiara to be my cheerleaders in the back of a Jeep while I kiss a girl for the first time. (laughs) So, Erica, what are the big themes for episode six? Um, I think there was a lot about sort of stepping up for what you think is right. I mean, that plays through the whole season, but it was pretty evident in this one. Shane kind of agrees to step up as a parent for Kiara. Bet steps up as a leader in the wake of Kit's death. Uh, Tina steps up and goes to see Bet when Angie calls her. Sophie steps up as a bro for Finley, so on and so forth. But what I really want to talk about like, did you feel like this episode was a little hokey, like a little cheesy at the end, a little too <laughs> virtuous? You know what I mean? Like, I, I had this concern in the first couple of episodes that we watched. We saw Danny realize all of a sudden, oh, my God, the opioid crisis is bad after right. working for a pharmaceutical company for who knows how long. This felt like, I don't know, like Bet's speech at the end when Danny was like, this is the speech that only you can give. That felt a little like virtuous. Isn't she right, though? I mean, yes. Maybe my issue is just like Danny being kind of cheesy and the thing with the thruple felt like it wrapped up a little too nicely which we'll talk more about but I don't know I liked that the original series was messy right and like of course it had its issues but I loved that there was just all of this dyke drama and I feel like we're just not getting as much of that I mean I don't know there's still a lot of drama to be had what's going to happen with Finley and Rebecca what's going to happen with Sophie and Danny Mm -hmm. Micah was just completely missing from this episode so I assume in the next two he will be making a comeback and we'll see a little more uh, conflict there. So I think there's still plenty of space for <laughs> the dyke drama that you sure. <laughs> But again, only two episodes left. They better be good ones. <laughs> Okay, let's recap. Erica, tell us what's going on with Danny. Sure. So Danny's been at Bet's place, I guess, since like 4 a.m. trying to do damage <laughs> control for Bet. I have to drop out. You cannot I go can't. out there. Lest we forget, uh, Bet shoved Felicity's husband down a set of stairs after Angie's play at the end of last episode. So Danny has gone full Bet convert, which I kind of love. She's trying to convince Pierce, Bet's campaign manager, to stay on board despite Bet's ongoing affair. He had no idea that it was still happening, but he's out and done. He's like, whatever. He's leaving Danny alone to manage Bet. In the end, as I mentioned, Danny convinces Bet to make only the speech that she could make, which is kind of barf, about why she's running. Uh, and then Danny arrives home feeling pretty satisfied with herself, I would say, only to return to a drunk Sophie who fights her. Um, She wants her to talk more. Girl just had a 14-hour day. I don't think she wants to talk much more, but, uh, you know, there might be some deeper-seated issues here uh, (laughs) to talk about. I kind of want to talk a bit about this. We've talked about this from the first couple of episodes. Do we believe that Danny can be this, you know, bet convert? Is it believable? You know, she worked with her dad at the pharmaceutical company for a while. Can she really be the polar opposite to the person she used to be when we first met her? I think it's less about Danny being a bet convert in that moral context. I truly believe that, uh, and maybe Danny's not even aware of this, that Danny is being pulled by the power of, the womanizing power of <laughs> Bette Porter. Even Pierce notes it when Danny is trying to like win him 
him over to stick around and help fight this. Mm-hmm. He looks at Danny as just like, whoa, this is a lot, even for you. Like, she's gotten to you. Mm-hmm. What that means, we don't know. But Pierce is insinuating that, uh, you know, Danny has become one of the many women that has just like fallen for bet. And that is why she's so driven to help her at all costs, particularly as we've seen in the last few episodes at the cost of her relationship with her fiance. And as we will discuss when we get into Sophie's storyline, uh, even she presumes uh, that there might be something there. So I think it's less about like, oh, I'm suddenly realizing the opioid crisis. And it's more about, oh, this woman's really hot. And I just like <laughs> want to get involved in some way, shape or form. I mean, like true. Well, like, what do you think? I think they're just going to fuck. <laughs> it's just as simple <laughs> like, as that. I think I said that from the beginning. And it's not that I want that to happen. Like, I, th- I think it would have been more interesting to see Danny and Sophie kind of hash things out, which we might see more of. Right. But yeah, they're going to fuck. I like. think to reduce it to less, though, is not being fair to like what Danny is experiencing in this. Because to me, it's about more than that. Like in the last episode where Danny is upset about her father, can't talk to Sophie about it, but finds a way to express how she's feeling to bet. Mm-hmm. Like that goes beyond just finding somebody hot or being physically attracted to them. Right. Her infatuation or admiration or whatever you want to call it for bet, I think is more than just about fucking. <laughs> I mean, sure, but you've seen Bet Porter. You've seen her in action. We have seen Bet in action, and she's not making her typical moves on Danny yet, maybe. I mean, she seems like she's in a tough place right now. There's a lot going on. So she might, but like the way that I've been reading it is that. Danny is maybe subconsciously there mm-hmm. and Bet is completely unaware. So what the writers will do in these last two episodes will be interesting. How could she be unaware? Did you did you see Danny in those blazers? Like <laughs> look, two hot women together, I'm for it. Okay. I mean, they're already doing the matching lesbian outfits. So I love it. <laughs> I love it. There. Okay, let's talk about Danny's other half. Of course. Uh, and Finley. Sure. So Finley and Tess wake up naked in the back room at Dana's. Uh, Shane walks in on them, threatens to fight. Tess, but doesn't when she realizes that Tess has just fallen off the wagon. Meanwhile, Finley heads over to her good pal Sophie's place. She's feeling really guilty about Tess drinking again and is sulking about missing Rebecca. Finley asks Sophie, Are you like too damaged to be with somebody? You're not damaged. And Sophie, who is also bummed out about getting the silent treatment from Danny, suggests that the two of them go and have a bro night. So their bro night is amazing. Uh, They go to Dana's to get drunk, and uh, Sophie admits that she thinks that Danny might have a thing for Bet, and Tess assures Finley that uh, they are just friends who had a one-night stand, and it'll never happen again. So Finley and Sophie are dancing. They almost kiss, which is kind of weird. At the end of the night, as they are biking home from the bar, Sophie tells Finley that spending time with her pal is like the best part of her day and that she loves her, which is just like so, so sweet. So what I think is interesting is Sophie and Finley's friendship Mm -hmm. and how we've seen it evolve over the season. I think it's funny that it's been this running gag that Sophie will find a way to call Finley stupid (laughs) in every episode. She's kind of stupid. Yes, but in a way that is like, you know, it's not malicious. It's very endearing. So what do we think of this idea of friends as family? I love it. I'm really, really glad that they were just baiting us in the trailers. The part where Finley and Sophie were dancing, they were close together and it looked like they were going to kiss. Right. And I was really worried that they were going to make Finley and Sophie kiss in their like mutual upset 
I'm really glad they didn't go that route because I really like Sophie and Finley's friendship. We talk a lot about how some of the new characters, it's harder to get into their storylines and such. And what I love about Finley and Sophie is we get this sort of glimpse into a friendship that is so reminiscent of the OGs on Alice's bed in that one episode of the original series where they're all just hanging out and being friends together. That's what I really love about their friendship. It reminds me a lot of you and I. You call me a fool all the time. (laughs) That I do. (laughs) Yeah. But it's never malicious, right? Never. (laughs) Never. So I really like it. But one thing I will say, I feel like we only have two episodes to find out about Finley is like what what is what happened in her past? Right. Why is she so stunted in her growth in relationships? So I was kind of hoping to get a bit of a glimpse, even in this friendship with Sophie, where she kind of opens up. It seems like they really care a lot about each other, and they, um, you know, they have this special kind of relationship that they, they can open up to one another. Um, and I was hoping that there might be something in there, but it doesn't look like it. I mean, I think there was, uh, you know, the the conversation they have when they're uh, like in the pool, mm-hmm. and Finley, you know, asks. Sophie, am I damaged? Am I broken? Like, can I ever be with someone? I think maybe that's probably a hard conversation for Finley to have with anyone. So the fact that she can have it with Sophie in and of itself is an interesting character development. A lot can happen in in an episode as we've seen in the last couple. So I think they will address it at some point. I would hope before the season ends. So Erica, tell us what's going on with Bet. Porter. So Bet is rightfully stressed AF. Media has been surrounding her house. Uh, they're looking for an answer after the incident at the play with Felicity's husband. Bet's convinced that she has no option but to drop out of the mayoral race. So she starts to head outside to do it. But then Tina shows up. Duh. Okay, like such a good reveal. Yeah, I just like screamed like to Bet at the <laughs> computer. So Angie has called Tina to aid Bet through yet another crisis of confidence. Tibet has clearly not changed. The two are constantly constantly bickering about space and love and processing and everything else. We learned that the two divorced around the same time that Kit died. And Tina sucks once again. She didn't go to the funeral. Like, Kit and Tina were friends. Bet, uh, near the end of the episode, goes out to make her speech about Kit to the media, talking about why she's running. We we knew this personal reason from a couple episodes ago about Kit, the fact that she uh, OD'd on opioids. And we get a bit more context around that, which is actually really nice. But then the next day, Tina has to leave, but in true OG Bet fashion, she tells Tina not to go. Tina says they're family, they love each other, it's a sweet moment. I think this is either going to go sour or sexy. Maybe both. <laughs> Maybe both. We'll see. Tibet lives? Apparently. This is some great continuation of Bet and Tina's relationship. I guess some things never change. What were your thoughts? I've said this in um, previous episodes of the podcast that I really love what the show is doing to show this like long-standing character development. So to come back to Bet and Tina and watch what their relationship to each other looks like, like a decade later when they're separated, divorced, and they are like co-parenting. And as someone who watched the original series, I felt like, oh, these are two characters that I know and love. This is exactly how I imagine their relationship to each other would progress. So I like I, I just loved Tina's return and all their conversations. The, the weird thing to me is that I was actually super stoked to see Tina, which like in the original <laughs> series, I was just like, oh, Tina, like boring. She sucks. She's not interesting. But like she came back and I was actually really excited. Which right. I don't know what that says. Like, are we just super hungry for more of the original cast? So it should be interesting to see that sort of development. Okay, and continuing with the OGs, let's talk about Alice. 
Okay, so uh, Alice and Shane are pushing through the press to get inside Bet's home, but Alice leaves almost immediately after she's arrived when she finds out that Bet has lied to her and that Shane knew about Felicity. So she's super upset, and Alice meets with Nat and Gigi to talk about it. Uh, Nat and Gigi are comforting Alice, and Gigi inadvertently outs them as a thruple to a uh, like, stranger. This really <laughs> upsets Nat because they haven't even told their children yet, and Nat insists that Gigi go home. Um, so Alice and Nat head into their bedroom and they find these like really lovely notes addressed to all three of them from the children. Um, But Nat actually admits that it's not just about like how the kids will react. This new thruple situation is very confusing to her because she has all of these weird conflicting feelings for Gigi. She still loves Alice very much and doesn't want anything to ruin that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But Alice assures Nat that like she is okay with everything. She's always been very open and that she's not going anywhere. She's invested. She's here to stay. So I really love that the show is taking this very earnest approach to modern polyamory, even to go as far as confirming that the kids are all right with it. But do we really think this is going to last? What do you think? No. Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I think it's more interesting to watch it not last. Like, it's nice to have this representation for a couple of episodes, but we're going to see this coming. Like, you know, either Alice and Gigi are going to have a thing, Nat and Gigi are going to have a thing, Nat and Alice are going to realize they don't want Gigi interfering in their relationship anymore. Like something is going to happen that's going to screw this up, which I say with the caveat that throuples can work, but I want to see it fail. <laughs> that makes <laughs> sense. Like fail a little bit. Um, okay, so what's going on with Shane? Uncle Shane's back in full force, I guess. <laughs> she agrees to take Angie to the DMV to get her driver's license because Bet is embroiled in all the campaign stuff. So Shane and Kiara take Angie. She passes, of course. And then Shane passes the lesbian torch, offering Angie the keys to her Jeep. The famed Jeep um, and a free pass to drive wherever she wants. Angie wants to go to Jordy's place, obviously, uh, and she kind of wants to tell her how she feels about her. But then she asks Shane and Kiara, How do you know if you love someone? And Kiara tells this really sweet story of how the two met on a photo shoot set and they spent the whole night talking. The point is, I'm a private person, but despite all of that, I still wanted her to know me. So then Angie is super pumped and she's like, I'm going to do this. And she goes to the door and Jordy answers and she tells her and she says she likes her and Jordy likes her too. Well, they say they love each other actually and Jordy (laughs) loves her too and it's so sweet. And then the two have their first kiss. It's so amazing. Uncle Shane and Kiara are in the car. They're like the cheerleaders. They're pumped. They're so stoked. And then that's when Shane realizes she is ready to level up from uncle to daddy. (laughs) We've already talked a lot about Shane as a parent. I think we've kind of covered that. Let's talk more about Angie, my favorite character. Oh, yes. I thought what was really interesting in this episode with Angie was her relationship with Bet and with Tina, Mm because we finally get a glimpse into the other side of things. What did you make of that? It's very interesting. And I hate to phrase it this way, but I can't really think of another way to do it. Tina and Bet sort of, you can see where they almost fall into somewhat gendered roles. Um, I get what you're saying. With their parenting, like Angie confides in Tina about like Jordy and how far they've gotten. And she, t- you know, she tells Tina when she's finally kissed her. And, you know, they have that cute little like pinky swear moment. Whereas, you know, Bet is like the stern parent who she still loves, but like, you know, is reluctant to talk about those like more intimate 
intimate personal details in her life. Mm -hmm. What did you think? Yeah, I thought the same thing. Again, it was really nice to see Tina interact with Angie because we've only ever seen Bet interact with Angie, especially coming from the past episodes. I mean, we see Bet has to give Angie some of those like tough love talks, like when she Angie Angie ends up getting suspended after she punches the kid in the face. Like those are the kinds of talks that it seems Bet has with Angie, and Tina has a softer sort of relationship with her, which I, I think is really nice. I think it's also super um, realistic. Like I think that a lot of people have that sort of softer, more intimate, secret telling relationship <laughs> with one parent. Um, so I liked seeing that. It kind of reminded me of my relationship with me and my mom, which oh, I like. So speaking of sweet moments, I thought the little speech that Tina gives uh, Angie when Angie asks her, like, why can't you stay or be more a part of my life? Like explain why. Um, I think Tina did a tremendous job of explaining that very complex emotion as a parent. Because like, you know, Tina's reason for not staying there has nothing to do with her being a parent. So I thought the way she explained that to Angie was incredible. Yeah, I agree. Who would have thought there'd be a better parent than Shane McCutcheon on this show? <laughs> and it's Tina of and all people. Tina. <laughs> It's time for our superlatives round. Each week, we'll crown our favorite moments from the episode. It's like reading through your high school yearbook all over again, maybe just a little queer. Erica? Okay, honorable music mention uh, goes to Closer by Tegan and Sarah, which plays during um, Finley and Sophie's bro night. A jammy jam, as Sophie says. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when Tegan and Sarah begged Dana to come out of the closet in the original series? Love like, it. That's all I could think of during that scene. <laughs> I love, you know, Tegan and Sarah, lesbian classics. Gotta love it. Best drunken response of the night, however, goes to Finley uh, when she tries to patch things up with Tess. Tess asks, have you ever slept with a friend before? And Finley responds, no, I sleep with strangers and priests. <laughs> I mean, it's just like very specific. Really funny. How about you? Honorable mention for best parental nickname will go to Alice when the kids leave her a note that says M. Alice, which she seems to think is like mommy Alice. And then, of course, Nat conveniently points out that it reads Malice. <laughs> Wonderful. But uh, best pep talk goes to Uncle Shane and Auntie Kiara when they hype up Angie to tell Jordy how she really feels. This this was just so fucking cute. I couldn't stand it. Tell me about it. Okay. Ship names for Angie and Jordy. Angie? Angie? Janji. <laughs> <laughs> They're all pretty bad. Oh my God. That one's awful. Georgie. Georgie. Georgie's a good one. Okay. So they, the ship name doesn't need to be as cute as them. It's fine. It's all good. <laughs> Okay, that's it for episode six. Will Sophie and Danny make it? Will Tibet try again for the thousandth time? And will Micah come back? Where the hell is he? Where is he? <laughs> Seriously. Tune in next week when we process episode seven. I'm Michelle Turingen. And I'm Erica Lenti. Off the Chart Generation Q is produced by Michelle Turingen. Our executive producer is Rachel Giza, and our music is by Kid Coolit. If you like what you're hearing, please review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter at Extra Magazine. Until next time. Are you like too damaged to be with somebody? You're not damaged.